Causing the Effect, a podcast focused on the exploration of your mind, body, and spirit. What is going on causing the effect community? I have a very special guest here today, a very enlightened cat. I'm going to call him just Swami, but I will let you introduce yourself, sir, to everybody and give a little flavor on uh, your background. Um, well, hi, everyone. Uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Um, nice to meet you, Scott. Pleasure. My Basically, uh, I'm from the Netherlands originally. Um, I now go by the name of Swami Purne Chaitanya. Swami, of course, being more like a title, uh, like a, a monk, you can say, of the, the Vedic tradition. Um, and Purne Chaitanya is the name that my spiritual master has given me, as it is a practice when someone dedicates his life to serving society, to, uh, to become maximum useful, you can say. Um, earlier, I had a much easier to pronounce name for many of you. Uh, I, I was called Alexander. That's how I was born and raised in the Netherlands, uh, in a, a town close to Amsterdam. Um, and uh, my mother was born in India. She, she was uh, half Indian. So that makes me 25% Indian. Okay. But she grew up in the Netherlands. Uh, she didn't speak any Indian languages. But then in some way, I guess both my parents had an interest, inclination towards, um, well, let's say spirituality. They both studied psychology. And during their university time, they um, tried a meditation course. They loved it. They started meditating regularly. Um, and then even though later on, as me and my brother were born, after some time, it became maybe uh, um, like, I don't know if it was like a daily practice. But then I remember when we were small, sometimes we used to, uh, you know, we used to see and then they'll say, okay, we can sit together. So maybe once a week, it's like, okay, you can sit with your eyes closed, try not to think of anything. So even though it was like a very playful uh, thing, it was like an early on exposure to that some of these things exist. So as I grew up, uh, that remained with me. I had this interest, curiosity to learn more about the Eastern traditions. I used to do different martial arts, uh, Judo, Taekwondo, Aikido, uh, Wushu, Kung Fu, uh, Ninpo Bujutsu, it's a Japanese martial art, sure. ninja martial art. So I was doing all these things. And along the way, I realized that it was more the, I would say the discipline, the, the whole idea of a tradition, you know, learning under a master and that aspect, that element of, of mastering the mind uh, meditation that really attracted me the most. It was not so much the fighting part. So then after some time, I kind of transitioned um, into focusing more on that. And I was looking for something authentic. I read a few books, you know, you, you see stuff in movies. Um, and then when I was 16, I met um, the, the person I now call my spiritual master. His name is uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. He's a globally renowned, uh, revered humanitarian, uh, spiritual uh, leader. Um, and he's the founder of the Art of Living Foundation. So I met him in Amsterdam. Um, not like on the street, but he was there for a public talk, uh, a discourse on human values and spirituality. So somehow we got to know about it. We went for that talk. And then uh, that really struck a chord for me. You know, of course, he he matched the the idea I had, because when when my mother told me, you know, there's a spiritual master coming from India, 
you think of a guy with long hair, beard, with robes. And it was like that. So, <laughs> so, when, so I was like, oh, wow. Because I mean, where do you find a, a real spiritual master? So for me, that was something, it sounded very magical, uh, very interesting, exotic. But then when I met him, uh, hearing him speak, to me, it was a beautiful blend of uh, being grounded down to earth and practical. And at the same time, something very profound. So his language was very simple, uh, nothing hi-fi, nothing condescending or, or very abstract. But at the same time, that simple language, uh, through that simple language, he was able to convey such profound wisdom. And his whole demeanor, like he definitely looked like very enlightened, but at the same time, he was so chilled out. You know, he was so down to earth. He was uh, after the program, like he came down from the stage. It's a big hall we have in Amsterdam where, where big events happen. He came down and he was there for like another one hour meeting people, you know, if anybody wanted to greet him personally. So that left a, a lasting impression. And also the fact that he conducted a guided meditation that felt like two minutes, but 25 minutes went by like that. So for me, it was like a, a, a turning point, I would say, where I felt, okay, I found what I was looking for, something authentic, someone who can really teach me about these things. And I started doing some of the programs that the Art of Living Foundation, his organization offered uh, about meditation, uh, breathing techniques, and then I met him a few more times during visits of his to Europe for meditation retreats and things like that. And then after completing my university studies, I thought, let me go to India to, I want to go even deeper. I want to really learn about these things more in depth. I want to experience more. Um, I thought, let me go for one or two years. I can, I can be part of the service initiatives there, do some volunteer work. And at the same time, uh, you know, deepen my understanding of some of these practices and this ancient wisdom. And after two years, I felt like, you know, this is so much more fulfilling than going back to my nine to five job. And I had the freedom to make that choice. So I chose to continue that. And now for the last 15, more than 15 years, I've been, um, well, I'm still like, you can say a, 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 a volunteer, maybe not a life full time. Now I'm a lifetime volunteer, but I travel, I conduct various programs, everything from yoga, meditation, uh, teacher training, retreats, uh, can oversee various service projects for the organization. Um, and along the way, he gave me the, the honor, the privilege to be initiated as one of his swamis. So I also represented that spiritual aspect. Um, well, that's try me trying to put it into a nutshell. Dude, that is so cool. So now if I do the math right, you're in your early 30s? Uh, 37 now. 37. Very cool. So what did that transition look like going from Alexander and really saying, I want this to be more of a full-time thing and I'm going to give up the identity of a nine to five. How did that look like money? I'm sure Kate popped into your head. Like, how am I going to afford this? How was the support of your family? How was that whole transition? Well, the thing is honestly, Scott, like, uh, when I went to India for that one or two years after my studies, it already felt like, okay, I did one part of my life, uh, like that part is done. So I was very happy that I graduated from university because however much I loved some of the things we learned, the whole concept of finally being done with essays, papers, homework, and all of that stuff was, was heaven, you know? So, uh, um, and then I was already working on the side because we, we never had a lot of money. My parents divorced when I was about 11 or so. I was living with my mom. So uh, I paid for my own university studies. Uh, like I was, I had two, three jobs on the side. So I had my own place that I was renting there. So I gave up that place. I sold most of my stuff. I had just two, three boxes at my mom's place. 
And it really felt like, okay, one part is done. Now I'm starting a new chapter. So even though I thought I'll be back in one or two years, uh, I didn't make any plans for that yet. I thought, okay, now I'm going to India and then we'll see. And after coming there, um, like I said, I felt it was uh, uh, so fulfilling. So I decided to continue that. Uh, my, my family was very supportive in the sense that, uh, like I said, anyway, they gave me that freedom. It's not like they were after me that, okay, you have to do this or become that. or, But also because they saw that it was giving me so much of joy and they saw that I'm doing so much of good, like I'm dedicating my my life to serve other people, to, to help people, to make the world better, do something for the environment, to, you know, help uh, kids in some village get a school or do work for women empowerment or organic farming or whatever. We have so many projects. So to see that, uh, you know, like both my parents, their son is, is both very happy and he's doing something very good with his life. Uh, for them, of course, was a great source of joy. Uh, didn't mean they didn't miss me. I mean, they would have loved me dropping over, dropping by every weekend. But uh, so that full support was there. And then for me personally, I've always, if I look back, I've had this, um, well, let's say inclination or this uh, aspiration that this whole concept of living out of a suitcase uh, somehow appealed to me. You know, like when I was very young, I remember sometimes I would leave the house in the morning, roam around the neighborhood and come back in the evening. And just that whole idea of roaming around with very few possessions, uh, like a monk, basically, even though I didn't know that was a, a possibility or an option in today's world, um, maybe some past life impressions or whatever, but it, it felt very, yeah, very natural, very, uh, uh, very comfortable. And then, um, also, if I look back, like during my studies, I had given a lot of thought that, okay, what do I want to do after this? You know, like, do I want to work? Or, and that's how I decided to go to India um, to explore this more, go deeper into this knowledge. Because by that time, I had already decided I would love to, to train to become a trainer for some of these things because I had experienced the, the value and the benefits for myself. Even in university, I used to sometimes get some people together organize one of these art of living programs so they can learn about meditation, about breathing techniques. And people, people really benefited. You know, those who joined, some were not interested. But then those people who, who did join, usually during or after they would share, oh, this is really nice because my stress is much less. I feel much relaxed, much better, you know, or this was something I was looking for. So that seed was already there. I thought I would love to become an instrument to share these things with people as well. Um, and then because I've always had this, as long as I can remember, there's also this urge to, to do something useful for the world. Um, I, I didn't have this picture that, okay, when I, wanna, when I grow up, I want to be like a famous football player or I want to have this huge house and this Ferrari. I mean, nothing wrong with that, but that was not really my goal. So I would think, okay, what can I do to, to make a difference or to help people? Um, and during my studies, I had this this thought that, okay, if, if I really want to apply myself to that extent or be available to, to serve in that capacity, then it will be difficult to combine with a family or, or with a relationship because I've seen people at that time also, I saw like, a, I remember one of my friends, like her, her mother used to do a lot of social service, but then she was never at home, you know, so people, they used to miss her, you know, so even though she was doing a lot of good work, that didn't feel right to me. It's like, then you have to, you have to find a balance. And as odd as it may sound to some people, uh, I was very content. 
So I didn't feel this needed or I want to have a relationship or I need to have a partner or uh, I was already very happy. So nothing against it. But then I was like, okay, if I have to choose, then this is probably easier. And then a few years down the line, when I was in India, um, I was anyway happy doing what I was doing. And I guess um, my my spiritual master, Sri Ravi Shankar, also felt the same way because otherwise he would not have asked me to become a monk because then, you know, it's it's a lifetime commitment. It's not that you say after a few years, so, you know, actually let me start my business or, or get married or, or uh, you know, things like that. So I guess I was just very content. I mean, I still am. Yeah, sure. um, and I felt this, this calling that, okay, let me see how I can contribute. And this continues to be a, something that I ask myself every once in a while, that, okay, what is the best way I can contribute where I am right now? Dude, that is so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I could see the glow on your face and it's like, I love, I would love having people on the show who just, they, they, they know what their mission is and it's kind of pulling them forward. And it, it, I could tell there's no questions um, in your soul about it. Now, as far as the, the practice, the issue with the spirituality in, in, in America, or at least in New York, is there's so many different options and people don't really know where to start. It's, do I go with Hinduism? Do I go with more of a classic Zen Buddhism? I know it sounds like Hinduism kind of fell in your lap here, but were you dabbling in other kind of areas before you ended up making that big leap when you were 16 and, and how, what, what kind of made you gravitate towards Hinduism? So to be very honest, uh, I read quite a few books about Zen, Zen Buddhism as well. Um, for me, I, like, I think for most people, it was this inner thing, like you, you're looking for something, but you don't know exactly yet what it is or, or how to give a direction to it. So um, I think for me, the, the thing that made it maybe very easy is that I felt that connect with, with my master. So uh, if it was not that, okay, I decided, okay, it's, it's going to be Hinduism. Like I have these different options and okay, okay. I like this principle or I like this, this color, or I like this style or, um, you know, he could have been uh, a Zen monk. Then I would have ended up being a Zen monk, mm. maybe, <laughs> you know, he could have been uh, something else. So for me, it was, it was very personal. Because when I met him, like I said, I, I was reading different books. Uh, I've seen different documentaries, movies, uh, you hear about things. And I knew that I, I was looking for something to, yeah, to uplift the spirit. Now, if we talk about spirituality, a beautiful definition, when someone asked him, my master once gave us that spirituality is anything that uplifts your spirit. So you're looking for something to feed that or to nourish that or to, to experience that. And when I met him, like I said, there was a, a connect. I felt, okay, I finally found someone who, who is really authentic and who can, uh, who can make me reach there. Because despite of reading quite a few books, uh, seeing movies, all of these things, I also realized that if you really want to progress, it's very difficult to figure it out by yourself. It's not impossible. But let's be honest, you know, there are, there are so many people who, so many monks who have maybe tried and the Buddha got enlightened. And because he got enlightened, it is said that during his life itself, uh, thousands of people meditated in his presence and got enlightened because he, he, he figured something out. And because he had the experience, he was able to convey some, some of that. And the same we see in different traditions. If when, when there is a living master, uh, to put it very bluntly, there is a lot more progress than, than maybe after. And it doesn't mean the teachings don't live on and 
uh, things don't get passed on. But when you have someone who has the that experience, um, it can save you a lot of trouble. Uh, it mm. can, and especially because, like you said, because there is so much, you know, where to start, and how do you? So to some extent, you can say yes. You will feel you will feel it when you're comfortable or when something clicks. Or but it's also a matter of coming across that, you know, because there are so many things. So just trying everything, your whole life will go. And if then still you're just, you know, a little bit here, dabbling a little bit with that, then it's like digging one meter in thousand different places. You may not find any water, but if you dig in one place, thousand meters, you can find water anywhere. So I think uh, this is, this is also why probably in many of these uh, ancient traditions, um, it's always been emphasized that you should study this under a teacher or under a guru or a master or, you know, whether it is the Vedic tradition or the Hindu tradition or the Buddhist tradition. I mean, the Buddha made it very clear. He said, Buddham Sharanam Gachami. So you have to take refuge in the Buddha and the Sangha, the, the community. You have fellow, fellow practitioners will help you, you know, those days when you don't feel like it also, they say, okay, come on, yes, whatever, do your service or do your meditation. And the same we see in the, the Vedic tradition, they say, no, you should learn it from a master because otherwise there are so many places where you can get stuck. And I think in today's world with apps and, and YouTube and so many other wonderful technologies, uh, many people may feel it's more comfortable to just browse on your own. And But the problem is a YouTube video is not going to correct you. No? So it, like say Scott made a video, beautiful video about breathing techniques and people are loving it. But then if they are just watching you doing something, you may be doing it 100% correct. But if they, they miss something and they start doing it differently, they may think they're doing it correctly, but how do they really know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And no. even if you're doing it correctly, because there is this thought that, but what, but how do I really know if I'm doing it correctly? That doubt itself can become a big obstacle. How do I know that I'm really, that I've really reached there, or that I'm really meditating, or that I'm really, you know, attained a certain state or... Mm-hmm. It can be very tricky if you don't have someone to guide. No, and you're nailing, like we've been talking about this. I would say the people, the listeners are more, not the beginner meditators, more in the experience, two, three, four years. I'm on my fifth or sixth year. And this is the issue we're having. It's like, I've, I'm listening to Alan Watts, I'm doing yeah. my YouTube, I'm doing this. And, and people are asking me like, Scott, what's this next step? Because it's, it's, it's almost like you're a little frustrating. And I felt exactly what you were saying of, I'm like spreading myself a little too thin here. I'm going a little Zen Buddhism, I'm going Hinduism, I'm going Tibetan Buddhism. And I, I've just been having these kind of feelings pop up of this not for profit will pop up or this kind of, you know, uh, mm. community will pop up. So from your perspective, when you're in this kind of phase here, you really need that community or you need some sort of direction to get a little deeper, as you were saying, down your, down the path here. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the beauty is that, again, it's it's not that there's only one path, you know, so sometimes people are worried, oh, but then, then how do I know that this is the right path? From my experience, usually, when you feel very comfortable, or you feel that connection somewhere, or then that's perfectly fine. And uh, even in these ancient scriptures, uh, they've never said there is only one way, but they've said, when you follow a path, really go for it. So, from one angle, if you look at all the, even all the main religions, if you talk about whether it is Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, um, I mean, Hinduism is a tricky term because they just put everything together and they called it Hinduism because it was very confusing. You had this whole continent of people practicing all kinds of stuff. And 
they say, okay, so we'll put it together. And that's why you have people doing the exact opposite and it still counts as Hinduism. <laughs> but if you see most of the main traditions, uh, there is this concept where they say, follow only me. You know, like if you've seen in Christianity, this Jesus said, okay, I'm the only way. You know, you have to go through me to go to the Father. It's There's no confusion about it one way. If you look at the Buddha, he said, Bhutam Sharanam Gachami. You take refuge in the Buddha. No confusion there. If you look at... Uh, the Bhagavad Gita, one of the main scriptures that the Hindus follow, then in that Lord Krishna said that you take only refuge in me. Ma mekam sharanam vraja. So they're all saying follow only me. And it doesn't mean that the others are not right. But they're saying that because if you're going a little bit here and there, you're going to get confused. <laughs> and, and this is true. I mean, everybody has their own way of explaining things. And they may be talking about the same thing, but it's like you're in Brooklyn, for example. Now you want to go to... Uh, whatever, Manhattan, and to go from A to B, there could be so many roads, you know, or you could, you could fly, you could take a chopper, you can go by foot, you can take a bicycle, a car, so many different routes are there, and they're all going to make you reach. But if you take the directions for the, the well, the, say someone on a bicycle, and you have another route that a cab driver has given you, and you say, okay, I'm going to follow these directions to some point, And then let me follow the directions of the other guy for some time. You're going to end up somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. No, and that's kind of how I'm feeling, honestly. Because then even by, by meditation practice, you're reading the Bhagavad Gita. It's telling you one thing. You're going to Zen. It's just, you know. Now, you, you brought up a, an interesting point before. How does one know, or at least how do you kind of count um, making progress in your meditation practice? How do you look at that? Or is that even something that you shouldn't look at? Um, well, it's a very valid point you've raised. One is that, of course, you know, uh, should you look for it or not? Uh, because, uh, you know, this is like, and now we're going a little bit down the road of like Kung Fu Panda, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. inner peace. And because the trick is, and this is many scriptures have spoken about this somewhere or the other, that the, the fastest way to reach the goal is to have infinite patience. Right, Because the moment you sit down to meditate, and even if there is that slightest uh, sense of doership or feverishness where you say, oh, I want to have a certain experience or I want to reach a certain goal, that will stop your mind from fully settling down. You know? And this, this can be very tricky uh, because how to manage the mind. As you said, uh, you've ordered my book, you're going to read it. So I've spoken about some of these things in detail there because the mind is very tricky. And that's why, again, it, it's so helpful to have someone who can guide you because what happens is the moment you say, oh, I want to, you know, I want to think of nothing. Let, let the mind relax. That itself is a big challenge. But then if you, then the thought comes, oh, am I still thinking about something? Oh, yes, I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't be thinking about something. Why am I still thinking? You know, it's, it becomes a mess. So the same way in meditation, um, I'm a little reluctant to, maybe even give you something that, okay, look for this, or when you experience that, because again, people may start looking, okay, am I experiencing this? Have I reached there? No, <laughs> yeah. not yet. Maybe, maybe is this it? But I would say that uh, when you notice that after the meditation, uh, you feel much more fresh, uh, you feel much more relaxed, more light, you know, it's a quality that you start carrying throughout the day. Like when you, when you brush your teeth, at least for some time, your mouth is going to feel nice and clean and, and your breath may smell nicer. The same way you take a shower, that freshness that, that stays with you for some time. And in the same way, when you have 
really nice meditations, you will find that not just at that time, but throughout the day, the quality of your consciousness will become different. Your mind becomes much more calm. You have less thoughts. The quality of your thoughts improve. Um, the whole way you, you approach situations, your perception, your observation, your expression, your communication, all of these start changing because you're in a more, I would say, expanded state of mind. So uh, it's like you're, you're training that muscle and that stays with you. If you go to the gym, you work out, then throughout the day, your muscles will be more toned. You may have a little more stamina or a little more uh, strength, whatever it is. So in the same way, it's not only that time when you're sitting on your cushion or on your yoga mat or on your couch or whatever people like to meditate. Um, it's a quality that stays with you. And that is where, uh, yeah, you. I would say the real progress you will find when you look at the quality of your consciousness, your energy level, uh, your overall state of mind. I'm, I'm with you. And th that's really been my goal this year has been watching the quality of my consciousness. And I guess when you start on this path, particularly in the Western cultures, you start off with personal development, right? You start with that whole, let's go, 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 let's yes. hit the goals. So in your mind, you think I got to add stuff to it. And now I'm realizing like the emptier my mind is, the better I am and the happier I am. And everything's like you're saying, I can see everything and I can maximize all my opportunities and all, and all this stuff. How... I think making that 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 turn for people, particularly here, it, that's the hard part. It's it's the key of emptying your mind. Are you do you agree with that with what I'm saying? Yes, definitely. Less okay. is more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as like your meditation practice, what did it look like when you were Alex, and how has it evolved through? Are you have you been doing the same thing for 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 a couple of decades, or what does it look like today? Well, the tricky thing is Scott that usually they say that you're not supposed to talk about all your, your personal secrets and practices mm. in public. They, they say this is, a, I think also um, because one, anyway, an experience is an experience. So if I explain it, it's not going to give people the same experience. So they make a concept, which may be right or wrong. They may even get jealous or I may get a, a big ego because I think I'm really amazing. Yeah. But, um, but when I look at myself, like, as I said, I started, uh, I would say being really serious about my meditation practice. Um, not that I wasn't serious before, but like I had, a, I got a proper technique when I did uh, one of the programs um, offered by the Art of Living, where they teach a beautiful technique of meditation, which uses a mantra also, not as a for a repetition, but it allows you to very quickly settle the mind and then you go into meditation. It's called Sahaj Samadhi meditation. It's very beautiful. Um, and I started practicing that regularly. And with uh, regular practice, it becomes more and more effortless. It becomes more and more uh, easy. And along the way, you get different experiences uh, on, because it's like you, your system gets more and more attuned or, you know, it's like you get rid of some of the, the, the backlog of, of maybe stresses, strains, impressions, whatever that was uh, piling up. Um, and then, over the years, there's been a few instances where uh, my master has given us some more advanced techniques that we can add to that. Um, and that way, yeah, I, I would say that it has changed over the years. But then, uh, and apart from that, we have meditation retreats where we also use some of the guided meditations. So that's a, a different approach. They, they may be longer. Um, but meditation as such for me, 
in one way is the same in the sense I sit, I do my practice and every day is a different experience. So sometimes you get really like if you have the feeling there are some special effects and sometimes it may just be very quiet and sometimes it may feel a little boring. But like I said, I've seen the biggest change over the years in my state of mind throughout the day, like in my day-to-day activities where um, to some extent, the difference between when I'm meditating and when I'm active in the world becomes less and less. Not that when I'm doing my uh, activities that I'm not aware of anything around me, but that calm, peaceful state, that a certain quality of like your energy level also. And um, that's what I've noticed even now, because sometimes I'm traveling or I have a lot of programs, I'm really busy. I may not always get time to, to do my meditation twice or even once a day, but then even when I don't, I don't see much of a difference. So I still love to do it because it's also that little bit of just me time before I'm, I'm engaging with so many people and with all the work. But it's not like earlier, maybe where I say, if I skip it for one or two days, I really notice uh, yeah, a, a change in maybe the quality of my energy level or how fresh and fruity I feel. Um, plus I notice it with people also that people, when they come, they spend some time with me or if I conduct a program, they also have a very good experience. So somewhere you carry some of that vibrations with you as well. Absolutely. Wow. And I love, I love that answer. Cause I I've read that it's a little bit of a secret, not supposed to, and I, I love that you said yeah. that because I like how you're taking the approach of like, kind of got to figure this stuff out on yourself, but on, on your own and figure out what works for you. Cause I really, I think a lot of people try to push their certain agenda. Um, and I just love that, that you're coming from it. such like yeah. a, with an open mind. And it's, and it's tricky because sometimes that's what happens, right? You read about someone saying, oh, and then this happens and that happens. And then, and then you go and sit there and you're waiting for that to happen. And, and then that becomes an obstacle to really doing your practice sincerely. Or, and even if it doesn't happen and sometimes people get discouraged because why is it not happening? Or for God's sake, or I've had like people sitting, coming for a retreat. And then afterwards, when you ask them about their experience, they said, yeah, it was nice, but, but I don't think I meditated. And I asked them, but, but how do you know? Well, I didn't see any light because the guy had read somewhere that when you meditate and you see a light and he was waiting for that light to come and the light didn't come. And he was like, oh man, you know, I had a nice time. I felt very peaceful, but I didn't meditate. Said, Why? No, I didn't see the light. So it's, it's a shame. <laughs> right? Know? No, I like because that. Because you get, you get stuck with these things. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, now, how do you define happiness or joy? And what has been the main component for you to to maintain that throughout you know i'm sure some trials and tribulations throughout this process well for me i think it has been a a journey of realizing and becoming maybe even more acutely aware of the fact that we actually don't need a reason to be happy you need a reason to be miserable mm-hmm. and and time and again, like different examples, different situations, uh, my master used to tell us some stories or explain some things or in some of the programs. And it really struck me that, you know, sometimes you, you feel really good. You have a nice day or you wake up fresh and, and people may even ask you that, you know, why you're so happy. And it's very difficult to pinpoint. You say, oh, I, I don't know, I just feel good. Oh, I feel nice today. But if someone is miserable, God forbid, if you ask them, dude, what happened? Oh, why are you so sad or happy or frustrated? You get the whole story. Oh, this guy said this and that happened and they didn't go and God knows what. 
So if you really look at it, we, we don't really need a reason to be happy because it's, it's our nature. And of course, many of the, these ancient scriptures also tell us, you know, nature is joy, it's happiness, it's peace, it's love. And in small children, we see this. You can take small kids anywhere across the world unless they're in a situation where it's really stressful, even for them. Otherwise, they're perfectly happy just playing in the mud. You know, they're playing with a pebble or with, with God knows what, and they're having a wonderful time. So we all had that. You wake up in the morning, you want to play, you're, you're happy, you're joyful. You don't really need anything for that. But then somewhere along the way, it's very subtle. And part of it is also our upbringing. But then we start uh, conditioning or postponing our happiness, where you think, oh, when I have this or when I do that or when I reset, then I'll be happy. So you're taking it out of the, the present moment. And that is a very sad thing because happiness is only in the present. It's only right now. You can only be happy now. And if you look at any of your so-called negative emotions, you know, whether it is anger, sadness, guilt, regret, all of these are simple signs of a mind which is stuck with something in the past. Something has happened which you're not able to fully let go. You're clinging to it in some way. And that is why you're feeling sad or angry, upset. It's because something has happened. You know? You're angry because X, Y, Z, or because this person did this, or because you feel sad or upset or traumatized because this, this, this happened. So these are all signs of a mind which is clinging to or stuck with the past. And when we look at the future, when mind gets stuck with the future, then you feel anxious, you feel stressed, you feel, uh, you know, these are all for the future. You cannot be worried about last year's exam. No, that's done, finished. How can you be worried? Mm -hmm. Same way, you cannot be angry about something that hasn't happened yet. But then if you look at when you're happy, when you're peaceful, when you feel really good, joyful, you will notice that those moments, you're in the present moment. That moment, you're not thinking about what I still have to do, what has happened with me. And that is why, and this, this for me was really an eye-opener. That is why anything that brings your mind to the present moment, even if it's for just for an, a moment, will give you at least some amount of joy because it will make you be in the present for a while. And when you're in the present, you're already happy. That is your nature. So when you look at, for example, bungee jumping, now, why do people like jumping off a cliff <laughs> where you really are giving yourself the impression that there is a good chance I'm going to fall to my death. I'm going to crash. You know, you're not, otherwise you won't jump, but Still, you feel like, so that moment, you cannot think of anything else. Your mind is fully in the present and you feel nice. That's why it makes you feel good. That's why people like to drive really fast. You know, some people like to really speed because for a moment, your mind stops. That's why people like scary movies, thrillers. Uh, that's, what, that's what makes you feel good when, uh, when people have sex. You know, for a moment, your mind comes fully to the present moment. When people eat some really tasty food, what happens? For a moment, you close your eyes and you really take it take it in. You hear some beautiful music. For a moment, you close your eyes and you really take it in. So that experience that you're taking in is actually that experience taking you in. Where for a moment, your mind goes inward. And that is where you experience that joy. And that is why when, when we are stressed or anxious, even if you have tasty food in front of you, you can't enjoy it because your mind cannot move inward for a moment. So the beauty is of all these practices, what I've also realized is that the more you, you 
relieve the mind of all the stresses and strains and this craving, aversions, all these things that, that maybe pull it out of the present or where it tends to get stuck, then naturally you are already happy. You are already very peaceful. You are very joyful. So for me, that is, that is uh, getting access to that joy of happiness and then it can become lasting. Otherwise, it's just these fleeting moments because you don't stick there. So for me, happiness is that when you're established in that, yeah, in yourself and, and it's beautiful. It is, man. You're, you're, you're just giving me the explanation of why I love podcasting because that's what happens to me when I'm in this podcast. I could just, I'm going to be jacked up the whole day from this, uh, man. That's so freaking cool. Now, now I love the comparison of, of the, the Buddha to a physician, you know, in the first two noble truths, he diagnosed the problem suffering mm. and then identified the, the cause. Now the third noble truth the realization that there is a cure to you. What does that mean? And how was it going from, you know, Alex nine to fiver chasing things to really stopping that desireless, the, the desirelessness and, and really not searching for the money or the girl or the, you know, p- pick your poison, whatever, whatever that may be. Um, well, so for me, Again, it's, it's a little difficult to pinpoint one moment. It was like a gradual thing where along the way, I realized that all these things are not really going to get me there. You know, it's like, so, uh, like I said, I, I grew up, uh, we didn't have a lot of money, uh, but whatever was there, was there, we really appreciate it. But then I also saw that there were friends of mine who maybe had lots of money and sometimes they were looking much more miserable than us, you know? So it's not that money cannot get you nice things, but it doesn't mean that just having that, you're going to be happy, you know, or it's going to take care of all the, all the problems. And the same is if if the moment you start seeing that all these things are, are just temporary, however nice they may be, then if you're a little intelligent, if you're a little bit wise, then you think, oh, but you know, if I'm really smart, I'm gonna go for a more lasting solution. And uh, I think honestly, even if we look at you know our world today, one of the reasons that we see many more people who are interested in, let's say, spirituality, who are more interested in exploring yoga, meditation, uh, all of these things, is also a sign of of a more mature. Uh, population, you can say, people become a little bit more aware or a little bit more intelligent or wise because they've realized that, oh, if I just keep doing the same things that maybe my parents were doing or their parents were doing, or, uh, that's not going to get me there. Or they've woken up and they realize, oh, but there must be something more. Because now you know, people say, oh, the problem is with the youth. Uh, they want so many things or they get bored so quickly. But let's, let's be honest, now people, when they're 16 years old, they have experienced so much more of the world than people one or two generations ago, because, I mean, you watch movies, you have the internet. Uh, so even if you've not physically been there, you have a lot of experience. You know, you have an idea what it's like in another country, maybe. You have experienced maybe some part, at least, of different cultures, of so many things. We have a lot of stuff at our fingertips right now. So what people would normally maybe not even experience when it comes to impressions and in a lifetime, people would have digested, at least to some extent, by the age of 16. 
So then you see people now, if you tell them you're going to be working for the same company for 50 years, people are like, oh, for God's sake, I don't want that. You know, it sounds terrible. People used to be happy. They're like, I'm set. You know, I don't have to worry. Now there's like, oh, God, no. So if you see a cow, it is so happy chewing the same grass every day. It doesn't get bored. But if I tell you or anyone else that you're going to have the same vegetable every day, you're going to say, oh, no, man, that's so boring. And I think, you know, the same with the Buddha. He had the, the, the good fortune that he had almost everything at his fingertips. He was in a privileged position as a, you know, being from a, a royal family. He had experienced so much already. And he realized that, oh, but, but then what? You know, okay, so I've had those pleasures. And that's a privilege because people can spend their whole life chasing pleasures, thinking that's going to make me happy. But when you finished it and, okay, I've seen it, I've done it. But now what? You know, this is also temporary. Now, where has that left me? It's left me in the same place. So I think that what we see now is that a lot of the, the young people, especially, you know, whether whatever generation we are now, Z or X, or, you know, we have so many nowadays. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, but it's like they have already experienced and seen a lot. And then they say, okay, but, but there must be something more. You know, it can't just be this waking up, going to work, do this, that. So for me, I had also, I came to a point where I felt, okay, I've seen that. I've done my nine to five job. I've had a girlfriend. I did all this thing, but, but there, there's more and I want to experience that. So um, for me, it never felt like a big sacrifice that, oh, I've given up something really nice or something, you know, uh, really enjoyable. For me, it was like all these things, it's very temporary. Now I want something bigger. Dude, that you're you described my 20s, Swami. I'll tell you, because that was, that was me, the three roots of evil. I was chasing them. I chased the money to get the power. And then you realize that's greed and desire. That's that first root of evil. And then the second root of evil with the power comes the ignorance and the delusion and the destructive urges and stuff. And and I I know I, I usually have to find stuff out the uh the hard way, but that's really an interesting way that you look at at this culture of of the ki- kids being more mature in a way because they have more exposure to really. Things that, you know, the baby boomers wouldn't have seen until they were 50, 60 and realized, you know, that that's not the answer. Exactly. Yeah. No, because sometimes people like, you know, I know the, they have all kinds of things to say about the, the younger generations. But yeah, we need to look at it like this as well. You know, it's not all bad. Yeah, dude, I, I'm lucky enough to, you know, we make a little money. We do a lot of stuff. I deal with these, these billionaires in, in, uh, in Manhattan and this one guy. He's worth four to five billion. He was mad that his friend was worth six or seven billion. And I'm like, Jesus, Jesus Christ, you're just never, there's no way that you're going to be happy looking, looking exactly. at it that way. Like, it doesn't matter how it's much. It's such money a shame, you have. no? The, the dude could have anything. I mean, has anything probably, but, <laughs> yeah. and still you manage to be miserable. <laughs> right. And, and the way you, you really look at it is I, I, I'm aware of this impermanence. I know what makes me happy. It starts in the present moment. And I'm just going to keep that close to me really throughout my day. And I know I'm making it sound much simpler, but in a nutshell, that, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. And, and for me, it's, um, it's not even that like all day I'm, I'm trying to be in the present. The beauty is what I found is that by those practices, which I do, which is uh, some of the breathing techniques that I learned in these art of living programs, uh, the meditation that already takes care of it. So uh, like in my book, uh, you'll find out when you read it, I've also dedicated a chapter about the difference between meditation and mindfulness. And even though mindfulness is, I mean, often now we see those words are used interchangeably, yeah. uh, 
technically they're actually very different. But then even when it comes to mindfulness, it's it's wonderful to be fully with what you're doing. But then if it becomes too much of an effort, you see sometimes that that it even becomes a, a big struggle for people because it's very difficult to keep your mind with what you're doing all the time. And even if they are enthusiastic enough to try and make that a part of all their activities, it can also become something almost like a compulsive thing where you keep thinking, oh, I have to be fully with what I'm doing. And it doesn't even allow them to relax in the moment with what they're really doing because they feel, oh, I have to be, I have to be aware, whatever, aware of my breath of this or that. While real meditation or these practices actually result in a state of mindfulness where it's not so much an effort, but it's just a happening. So I notice that without much effort, because of those practices, few practices I do, then throughout the day, I'm naturally more in the present. So that makes it sound much less like a burden for people. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Now, now this, this concept of, you know, and again, you're just describing another obstacle. Like, don't put the obstacles in your way. Um, the, the, this idea of letting go, right? Really being able to let go. What does that mean for you? And... I'll just leave it there. What does that mean to you? Letting go, surrendering. For me, and this is also what I've, what I've learned from my master, is that even though we always, I mean, not all, let me not generalize, not always, but many times we may feel that letting go or surrendering or is something we have to do and it's difficult or it's an effort or, you know, it's, it's, Sometimes we associate it also with sacrifice. You know, it's like you have to leave things that are dear to you or your comforts, whatever. But it's actually happening. It's like my master usually says that, you know, when people ask that it's difficult, he says, you do what is easy. If it is easy, it is more comfortable. If it's easier for you to keep holding on to your anger, your grudges, you know, you not accepting people as they are, by all means, do it. I want you to do what is easy. But the beauty is when you start realizing that letting go is the easy way out. Then it happens naturally. At the same time, if you're too tired, you will let go. It, it, it happens. Again, it's not something that you need to forcibly do. If you're clenching your fist very tight, you can only do it for some time. At some point, you will have to let go. Whether you like it or not, it will it'll go on its own. It will happen naturally. And the beauty with knowledge, with wisdom, with awareness is that it is just making you aware of the fact that you were never in control in the first place. Or it makes you aware that you never anyway owned what you thought you owned in the first place. You know? So the beauty is it's it's yeah, it's like it's a happening, it's a realization. It's and it brings a lot of relief, I tell you, when you realize that, you know, okay, I'm I am not my thoughts, I'm not my feelings. Yes, I'm experiencing them, but I'm something more, which is even beyond that, it's a big relief. You know, you feel very free. So what have you? What have you dropped? It's just your limited identity, maybe. The same way you have your desires, your things. When you realize that, oh, it's just some desire, then naturally it drops off. Very, Does that make sense? Cool. Absolutely. Because it's a little Absolutely. subtle, but. No, but it, it, this is the kind of the, the paradoxical thoughts that you need to kind of, these are the realizations you need when, when this is, because, you know, a lot of people say it, but they don't say it as, you know, you can tell, you've been doing this for a minute. So <laughs> now, now listen, we're letting go. We're in the present moment. How do you deal with, 
because I, I started this off on the personal development thing and they, you know, you got to hit your goals and schedules and time becomes a construct. And this is the issue that I see a lot of us dealing with. How do you view time? And is it even something you worry about? I mean, you, obviously you got to be a you know, schedule and you do your meditations and all, you know, you have to do, do your, sem- your seminars. How do you, how is your relationship with time? Well, nowadays, I think I need a little more in a day <laughs> because honestly, <laughs> it's like days just fly by and um, it's it's a challenge, I will say, because, uh, you know, even just I'm trying to at least keep up with my social media, you know, people send me messages, people reach out to me. Uh, I need time for that in the same way people call me for for guidance, for advice with their problems, making time for that. Um, so that way. Uh, yeah, it can be a challenge, but otherwise, the beauty is that, and again, this may be a little abstract for some people, but time is also only on the level of the mind. Yes. So when you meditate, sometimes you may not be aware of time. So uh, you may feel that you have been sitting there for 20 minutes, and it may have only been two or the other way around. Um, but it's not just that, it's also that when you connect to that part of you, which is beyond the mind, your, your whatever you want to call it, yourself, your, your consciousness, uh, um, the, the witness in you, or soul, whatever, there's so many words we can use, but because that is beyond the mind, that is also beyond time. So you start slowly, slowly more, uh, or maybe sometimes not so slowly, but you start consciously relating to and experiencing that part of you, which is eternal, which is beyond time which is untouched, which is uh, ever pure. And that gives you a great amount of strength to deal with this ever-changing world. Because we saw in the last one or two years also, it was crazy for people, you know. So many of the things outside of us that people knowingly or unknowingly were relying on for their sense of security, their sense of peace of mind, started shaking, you know, whether it's your relationships, hang out with your friends, you can't because there's a lockdown. Uh, People who may have never worried about their health started worrying about their health. What if I get this virus? People started worrying, will I lose my job or will I be able to run my company or so many things. And when knowingly, unknowingly, we rely on those things for our sense of security, then when those things start shaking, we start shaking. You start feeling very uneasy. But the beauty is when you have a meditation practice or you have some of these this knowledge, these techniques, and you've consciously started experiencing that, oh, but that is a part of me which is beyond all this, which is untouched, then even if the world around you starts shaking, then it doesn't shake you. And that way you see that you, you can take a step back and you're no longer so much in the, you can say that, that purview of time, in a sense, time cannot touch you so much. And I've seen that for experienced meditators also there, it's very common to see that this fear of death also disappears because you have experienced what it is like to, to, uh, yeah, to, to connect with that part of you which is beyond the body, which is beyond time. And then there's really not so much difference of you, you know, uh, you meditating and you coming back out of it or you dropping one body and going into the next. So then it doesn't feel so scary because you know, you know that part of you, which is beyond it and you're very comfortable. You know, it's wonderful. There's nothing to worry about. This is what happened. Now during COVID, I'll tell you what happened. I, 
I loved it. I was here by myself meditating. I saw the veil of illusions. It was great. Now, the issue I'm having is I got to go back to this world. I got to take this train to Manhattan. Back into the Matrix. Yeah, back to the Matrix. And this is, I wouldn't say there's tons of people ask me about this. There's a couple. How? Because like I feel like this guy saw it. And now I'm getting pulled back in. You have to go into the office three, four days a week, blah, 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 blah. And then I say to myself, well, I, sh- I should just be able to get myself to feel, you know, compassion about my, you know, about these people and gratitude and all that stuff. But it's hard. How would you, what do you have to say about that? About the people that had to, you know, go back into the matrix, so to say. Well, the beauty is, um, as I mentioned earlier, that the more you connect to that part of you, then well, if we want to take the matrix metaphor, it's a little bit like, like you know, Neo goes back into the matrix, but mm-hmm. he knows it's just the matrix, mm-hmm. you know? Of course, there, there's still a whole story of guys trying to shoot him and all kinds of terrible oh, things. Sure. But the beauty is that once, once you realize that uh, on one level, and that's why if you see in the scriptures, also they talk about the, you have the, the supreme reality and the relative reality or the relative truth and the supreme truth. So on one level, when you start realizing, experiencing, this is all, a, you can say, a play and display of that one universal consciousness or, uh, you know, there is a part of you which remains untouched, then you can go back into the, the world. But then it's, it's not a problem. It becomes like a, like a play. So in the, in the Vedic tradition or in the Hindu tradition, they call it the Leela. Leela is like a drama, like a play. So it's not a, it's not a negative connotation. Yes, there are, there are, there's duality. There's all these opposites. There are problems, bad people, good people, you know, issues, wars, you know, whatever may be there, but that is on one level. On another level, it is all this, you can say divine drama, which is unfolding. And in a drama or in a play also, you have good guys, you have bad guys, and they're not really good or bad. It's just the role that they're playing. So this is a very subtle, uh, you can say, experience or realization, because that doesn't mean you become insensitive. Like then sometimes people say, okay, then that means you can do anything, whatever you want. But that's not what happens. When you realize this, you actually become a nicer person. You, know, you become more sensitive because there's nothing for you to make you stressed. I've seen this with my master. Like he's, he's definitely, he's liberated, he's free. You know, he's untouched by it. That's why he can do the crazy things he's doing. Like he's sleeping maybe two, three hours a night and working whole day dealing with people's issues, problems. And he's never, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get stressed out. He's fully there, fresh and fruity. Even now he's in his sixties going towards 70, you know, the traveling to 40 countries a year, at least it's, it's crazy. You know, like we, we travel with him for a few days and then you say, okay, now I need a break. <laughs> and he's been doing it for the last 40 years. But then the beauty is, even for that few moments that someone comes to him with a problem, he's fully there and he can do that and still be untouched because he doesn't need anything for himself. So this is again, this beautiful contradiction, like just like in a relationship, if you are so content that you don't need anything from your partner, that doesn't make you a bad partner because you're disinterested. No, it makes you the best partner because you can truly and fully say that I'm fully here for you. Okay. What do you want? Because I don't need anything for myself. I just want you to be happy. And the same way this, you know, uh, like you said, it's like you come to a point where you feel so nice, but okay, I have to get back into the matrix. But that's like an in-between point. 
when you go a little further, you come to a point where you carry that with you. And it's not a problem to go back into the matrix. You'll be very happy because you can go and play. Exactly. See, that that's right where I'm at. And I think I need to practice a little bit of, you know, less anger, more compassion for people. And, and you know, because I've been told this this is the hardest part of this journey. So we're, we're getting through it. So we're, we're I'm a, but I'm it's a, great. That means you're on a journey and you're yeah, progressing. Exactly. I think I'm, I guess I'd be on Matrix, too. So maybe the next movie I'm in, I'll uh, we'll do it that way. <laughs> but Swami, thank you so, so much for your time. This is. I feel just great talking to you. Um, I just really appreciate your time and, and sharing, you know, these little insights, but I'm telling you, it really, it means a lot to me and my, my, uh, my listeners here. Thank you so much. It was lovely. And I loved how we literally touched upon so many things. And, uh, and like you said, I would love to uh, come back sometime when you've read my book, we can dig oh, a little please. deeper into that. Yes. Okay. Mark so, it so down. So let's stay in touch. Absolutely. And, um, uh, lovely. And, and if anybody has uh, any other questions, no, I'm there on Instagram and all people can just drop me a message. Uh, he answers somehow quick. find out how to spell my name, but otherwise. Yes, everybody, you I'm can there. find, you can, he will answer quick for being so enlightened. He's on Instagram uh, looking inward. You could find that book. Uh, I'll put the link below and I'll put all your information below. Um, YouTube, awesome. thank you guys so much for, for listening and watching us. Uh, for people who are listening, uh, leave a like, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. But I think most employees just tell one of your friends about that, about this conversation. I think it will go a long way. Swami, my friend, thank you so much again. Lovely. Thank you, Scott. As always, stay safe, stay positive, stay blessed. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.